Is that and whoever has the most money after 20 minutes, da, 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 is the winner. That was, wow, that was Javago. That yeah, was, was impressive. Time of ticket. That was Omar Sharif good. I was, yeah, I was going to say, you're going to give Meryl Streep a run for her money there. Welcome to Which Game First, where we boldly explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we unearth any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up, we don our tinfoil hats to protect against wrong answers in Conspiracy Theory Trivia Board Game. Next, we can see clearly now right through the cards as we layer them into a brand new world in Mystic Veil. And lastly, the fake money flies as we scramble to risk it all in Russian Roulette. I'm your host, Celeste DeAngelis. Now let's meet the rest of our brave and intrepid panel. I'm Evan Bernstein, and when I start seeing the number seven on my D6, I know I've been playing too long. I'm Ed Povolitis, and let's not get into that time my D6 rolled at 64. I'm Mike Rainier, and dice hate me. <laughs> they do. Hey folks, PAX Unplugged is only a few weeks away, and which game first will be there? We will be presenting two great panels for you. The Thrill of Destruction with Legacy Games, and Look Out Behind You, the best backstab games of all time. Not only that, we'll be conducting interviews with game designers and with any which game first listeners we come across. Man on the street interviews with which game first fans. Yeah. Yeah. And don't forget to tell your favorite social circles about which game first. It really helps. My knitting group's going to love it. All right. (laughs) And don't forget ratings, reviews, Facebook posts, tweets, instas, retweets. Thanks for helping us grow. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Our first game up this week is Conspiracy Theory Trivia Board Game. Designed by Stephen Barnes. Published by Netty Games in 2017. Number of players 2 to 6, ages 14 and up. Playtime 30 to 45 minutes. Okay, hang on, guys. Okay, now that our minds are protected (laughs) and they can't be read, what were your first thoughts about this game? Mike? When I saw the pictures of you guys in the hats, I was wondering, do those hats come with the game? Ed? The truth is out there, but is it in this game? Evan? The fact that there is enough conspiracy theory-related topics in popular culture to create an entire trivia game around is the scariest of thoughts. Despite what you may have heard, I want to assure our audience that this podcast is not controlled by Big Dice. (laughs) But before we get to our completely unbiased and uninfluenced review, Evan, tell us how it's played. In Conspiracy Theory Trivia Board Game, Players test their knowledge of the world of conspiracies. Answer questions to collect conspiracy cards to win, but be careful of government cover-ups. They can set you back. The conspiracies range from well-known suspicions to some truly bizarre theories. The first player to collect one of each type or three of the same type of conspiracy cards wins the game. Here's here's a question I have for you right off the bat. Yeah. And it's going to sound kind of meta, but... Are these all real conspiracy theories, or did they make up some for the game? These are the real deal. Yes. Wow. All the questions we encountered, and we did not go through every card. There's a lot of, there's hundreds of cards in there with conspiracy theories. 
But yes, these are based on theories that are out there in culture. And yes, they are out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing was nothing was made up of a whole cloth, as they say, right? Or just from the mind of the inventor here. Yeah, uh, you're going to get the basics in this trivia game, like Sasquatch and the Loch Ness Monster and Stonehenge. But there were tons of obscure conspiracy theories that I had not known about until I heard about them in this game. And it's a multiple choice game. Mm -hmm. So even if you're not familiar with the conspiracy, you've got a shot at getting the right answer, which is nice. Yeah, at least 25%. Well, in some cases, even better than that, because occasionally they would throw in an answer. Usually the D, the fourth choice, was something just so ridiculous that it had to, you had to not consider it. A joke answer, almost. I don't know. How, how ridiculous could you get, though, without it? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's going to give it away sometimes, but sometimes you're like, if you're asking a question about the lizard people, for example, I mean, there's some pretty outrageous answers that could be attached to that. Well, true. I guess maybe I'm giving a few people more credit than they deserve. (laughs) Maybe. But some of the questions I can remember reading on what you would consider reputable sites. One of the best things about this game that I really enjoyed was the each card comes with a QR code on it. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. That QR code will take you to a site that can be updated with information about the conspiracy theory. One of the questions on one of the cards that came up was about the Mothman prophecies. There was a movie called The Mothman Prophecies and uh, about a conspiracy theory basically in West Virginia. Celeste, you had never heard of that before. Nope, never. So that's great because in your case, Celeste, which I had heard about before, oh, Mothman, what's this all about? There's the QR code. Click. Okay. Takes you to the information page <laughs> for that particular subject. And you could learn about why and what the conspiracy is and why it became a conspiracy. Man, for a trivia game, they put a lot of work into this thing, it looks like. A ton of work into this game. See, the truth is out there, and it's a QR code. plenty of work done on the conspiracy theory piece of this just to talk about the game itself how it's played you do have a board which is standard for a trivia game you move around it roll dice move around (laughs) specialty cards called cover-ups which were just sort of like chance or community chest type cards where you'd read it and then it would tell you if you lost a turn or they were generally bad yeah for the most part they were bad you'd have hated it mike Oh, God. (laughs) The first one I got was lose all your cards. Ah! But they were written in a fun way. They're each called cover-ups. And for example, one would say, you purchased the latest Jay-Z album and tweeted on how much you liked it. You were immediately (laughs) labeled as an Illuminati agent and banned from all of the New World Order websites. Wow. Lose all your scheme cards. So it's fun. I like reading little mini stories. So that was fun. Mm -hmm. Um, The categories were tech, mythos, aliens, and schemes. When you say mythos, you mean like Cthulhu mythos? Anything to do with mythological stuff, like Sasquatch. He would fit in there. Yeah, mythology, basically. Like, what is the name of the creature in Australia that looks similar to North America's Bigfoot? Do you know, Mike? Got it. Got it. (laughs) I had... um, um, Bubalon. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm going to give you multiple choice. You ready? Oh, multiple choice. I'm ready. Let's do it. Dingoian. Mm-hmm. Dingoian. <laughs> like a dingo. Okay. Yowie. All right. Like Yahweh. How do you spell Yowie? I need to know. Y-O-W-I-E. Yep. 
Yowie. Like, ouch. Okay. Moljawank. <laughs> and you want that spelling? M-U-L-D-J-E-W-A-N-G-K. Moljawank. Okay. <laughs> yep. And lastly, Bunyip. I think it's Bunyip. I've heard of Bunyip before. Good guess. No, it's Yowie. Oh, it's Yowie. <laughs> Yowie, he stepped on me. <laughs> so, you know, the look of the game is simple. The art is very simple um, and basic, almost like sketches that somebody who was really worried about conspiracy theories might write in their little notebook or something like that. Yeah, little doodles <laughs> in their, you know, among their 1,000 notebooks that line their shelves. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a little touch that they added for rolling doubles, mm-hmm. which is uh, cute. Uh, they named each one uh, like Snake Eyes was Reptilian Eyes and something uh-huh. different would happen. And then Double Twos was too many choices. Double Five was High Five. And then Double Sixes was, of course, Armageddon. Uh-oh. There's another space on the board that lets you use the dice. The Discovery Space, where you roll the die and then see what happens. For example, you can go on a dumpster dive and get something from the discard pile. Yay! <laughs> Evan's favorite. Oh, yeah. Because it was all about collecting cards. That's right. Three of a kind in any particular conspiracy or one of each. Five different flavors. So it's nice that they give you a couple different ways to get to the win condition. Yeah, and I like that because what that does is, is and I'm sorry, Trivial Pursuit. You, you, <laughs> you know, how many times have you played Trivial Pursuit and the game was four to five hours and you just, you're done after the first hour? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> with the conditions and the way this is set up, it's it's reasonably timed. You know, it, playing time of thirty to forty five minutes—that is accurate. Yep. Because each time you get a question right, you are gaining something. Even if you already have that color, if you get three that color, you win. I was actually going to ask about if it has a fail safe that helps the game not go on forever. Yes. Because like trivia is one of those categories that like since the seventies they haven't changed the timing structure of it very much they just want it to be a long game for a lot of these trivia games like a whole night game this doesn't have that fatal flaw that many trivia games have of requiring you to be on a specific space to get your winning pieces together right that is the absolute worst (laughs) yeah because then it's just brutal you end up having to answer so many questions in a single category before you can even gain a winning piece. Yeah, even have a chance to gain a winning piece. <laughs> so in, in here, there's actually a couple ways to, to get a little faster in the sense of the spaces rewarded you for being on the right space. If you got a question that matches the space you're on, you get to go again. And that helped speed the game along a little bit. Yeah, it took care of that nicely. Uh, Stephen Barnes, the designer of this game, uh, contacted me because he happens to also be a listener of my other podcast, The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, and wanted to let us know that he developed this game. There's definitely a ton of informational, educational, and good skeptical content within this game. So I'm very happy that he reached out to us because uh, and, and, gave, and provided us with a copy of the game to, to play and review. So thank you, Stephen. Okay, it's going to be either Delphi or Heliopolis. Delphi. Heliopolis. Heliopolis. Fudge. Oh, the aliens got to you, Celeste. Stupid crack in the back of his hat. Here, you can have my hat, and I'll take your hat. Me too, because I love trivia games. (laughs) Another nice touch uh, compared to some of the other games we played is the trivia was actually somewhat recent. 
Meaning you're tired of playing Trivial Pursuit Classic, Ed, from 1984? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, most of our trivia games are from the uh, the bargain bin at the local fifth door, and, and they're a little bit dated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's nice to have something that was from our decade. Well, that's cool, because the QR codes can also keep this game a little bit more up to date. It doesn't yeah. just freeze in time like in a lot of the other trivia games do. Absolutely. And there was an expansion pack that was included with the game, which had, again, additional trivia cards, but uh, among those also more recent and up-to-date conspiracy theories that are out there from just the past couple of years. Yeah. Don't let Big Brother keep you down. (laughs) Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury conspiracy theory trivia board game. Shh. Ed? I'm not much a fan of trivia games. But this game wasn't as bad as I expected. The wind condition was pleasantly short and reasonable. And I found some of the questions to actually be funny or entertaining. <laughs> so if the men in black were to force me to play a trivia game, I'll dig this one up. Evan? The subject matter is great. It is a game that promotes critical thinking. And it has many other good qualities. Not the least of which is that it ends in a decent amount of time. Dig it up. Despite the no-nonsense layout of this game, there's enough solid pseudoscience trivia here to make it a fully fleshed out genre specific trivia experience and you know i love trivia dig it up evan where can you find this game online stores roughly 30 dollars for the main game and with the expansion pack it runs about 50 dollars. if you have thoughts about conspiracy theory trivia board game let us know we would love to hear from you just reach out to us on big social Our next game up is Mystic Veil, designed by John D. Clare, published by Alderac Entertainment Group in 2016. Number of players, 2 to 4, ages 14 and up. Playtime, 45 minutes. Okay, when Big Dice brought us, I I mean, (laughs) when we spotted this game across the heats, through the mists, in the early morning light, what were our first thoughts? Evan? Evan asks, hey, Ed. Is there a king of the veil that will come by and judge our veils to see whose is the best? Ed replies, no. Evan is sad. (laughs) Mike? Deck building squared. Gimme. Ed? Wait, we are not just building a deck, but changing the cards themselves? Cool. Hmm, are these plastic see-through cards really going to hang together without slip sliding away and all over the table? But before we give you a fully transparent review, (laughs) Evan, tell us how it's played. In Mystic Veil, players take on the role of druidic clans determined to use their blessings to cleanse the curse upon the Valley of Life and rescue the spirits. Each turn, you play cards into your field to gain powerful advancements and useful Veil cards. Unless you're me, but we'll get to that. (laughs) Use your power wisely, or decay will end your turn prematurely. Boo. Score the most victory points to, what? Win the game. Win the game with victory points. Mystic Veil uses the innovative card crafting system, which lets you not only build your deck, but build the individual cards in your deck, customizing each card's abilities to exactly the strategy you want to follow. Now, to give the audience a picture of what Mm -hmm. this is like, how does building your own cards actually work in this game? Well, what you have here are transparencies. Remember back in school 
when the teacher used the overhead transparency projector. I love that. <laughs> you had a sheet of plastic and it would write on it. So basically, your cards are made of this stuff. It's plastic, see-through, transparency. And it had three different sections on it, potentially. And you can use up to three sheets of this little plastic in a sleeve to craft your card. You slide each piece of clear plastic into the sleeve and they build on each other mm-hmm. so that all the pieces are showing through the sleeve to make a card. Sleevings. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Sleevings. Wait, wait. I have a better song for this one. Okay. <laughs> if you sleeve me now, you're going to make a better card for me. <laughs> Nice. Gonna build my deck. (laughs) Each of these little transparent cards has a picture on it, and more than one picture can show in the sleeve. So you build more pictures into your card until you can have up to three. And they're so beautiful. These little tiny pictures of your grove or your veil growing into this nice place. It starts with some cursed lands, though, huh? Well, your deck will have some cursed land that you're trying to heal, a couple of fertile grounds, but a lot of the cards are completely blank to start with. Right, so you have the ability to build them any way you want, as long as the cards are out there available for you to buy. As long as you have the mana to get what you want. And how do you get mana? What is mana? Mana is the currency in the game. Most cursed lands in the fertile land provide you a little mana. It's represented by a little blue disc on the, the cards. So the more mana you have in your field the more you can buy that turn. It's kind of cool that you're building up your mana and you know how much mana you're going to have for the next turn. You can prepare for your next turn while other people are doing their turn. Yeah, that is nice. It gives you something to do while other people are going. But, Mike, yes, you know how much mana you have, but you can take your chances to get more. Oh, God, such a tempting... And push your luck. Press your luck. Like, I, when I played it, I, I didn't really press my luck as much as I thought I was going to, except for maybe a little bit in the early game, because I wanted to get rolling. Right. Evan, explain what pressing your luck means in this game. All right, you're allowed to have a certain amount of decay in your veil before you spoil. And decay is represented by these red circles on your card. So if uh, you have a red circle in your land, that's a decayed land. And you can have only three of them out. That's all you can have showing between what's in your veil and the top card of your deck. So if you've got three of those, that's where you stand at the moment. However, if you want to take a chance and draw that fourth decay card, which will turn you into spoil, which will spoil (laughs) everything, your whole hand that turn... You can play that top card off your deck, put down that decay card into your veil, and then you must reveal your next card off your deck. If it is decay, there's your fourth decay. You have spoiled and you have lost your turn. And that happened to me once. You lose your whole turn. Yeah. <laughs> lose your turn and all the, all the cards in your veil. But what if you push your luck and you flip that card and it's more mana? Woohoo! Then you have the option of placing that also into your veil, but. That will force you to reveal yet another card, and if it turns up decay, you're spoiled. I know. Big risks, but sometimes you really need an extra mana, and I was willing to take that risk once. You did, and it paid off for you. And you get one constellation prize. If you spoil, and you haven't flipped over your, your little uh, token, you can put it back so you have one extra mana to spend next time. 
Yeah, if you fail, you get at least a bonus. You, you lose your turn, but next turn you have a little more mana to work with, which is kind of helpful. Because when the king comes through to judge the veils... Not a no king. <laughs> there's a king now. When that king... Who made you king? <laughs> I'm not the king. I'm building a veil, so when the king does come Ed, through, are you listening to the rules or not? So the pictures in this game are interesting. It really kept me engaged. The art made me feel like I was building landscapes, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And what I really liked about it is there wasn't just mana. There were also spirits on the cards. The spirits are what let you buy the veil cards, which are powerful cards that you kind of sit to the side and give you special abilities during the rest of the game. And they stay every turn, unlike the other cards that you got to get rid of every turn. Mm hmm. But they, they force you to start building up a different resource than mana, so it kind of takes a long time to get those veils going. Once you get them out, as long as they fit your strategy, they can be really strong for yeah, you. Yeah, because some of the cards give you spirits instead of mana, and there are three different kinds of spirits plus a wild spirit. There's the animal, the forest, and the sky spirit, and then the purple wild spirit, which can be any of those three. I mean, it is a strategy to go for veils rather than going for a ton of mana. And what I saw Celeste do, and it worked out very well for her. Oh, extremely well. Yeah, if you get the right ones, it can be really, really strong. Yeah, I did start buying veils early, and that did help a lot for my strategy. Um, it, it was just getting an extra treat every single turn. It was great. Well, I thought you were getting them because the art was bigger and more beautiful on the veil cards. <laughs> <laughs> they are cool cards, too. But yeah, I mean, I loved looking at all the shopping choices. I feel like mana was cash and veils were credit. <laughs> That's hey. an interesting way to look at it. When I played, I noticed there was a really strong strategy out there, too, of, of building up growth, which negates decay that comes out during your turn, so you can draw more cards. So it's card drawing and added mana, so it gets your engine rolling really fast. Yeah, I think I concentrated a little too hard on trying to build up my deck and turning my blank cards into something that... So I just concentrated more on mana, and I, mm -hmm. I neglected my veil cards until the end and that was an unfortunate strategy on my part don't do that yeah you were the first one to get victory points from your card yes because you can do that you can go right from your deck directly into victory points you can bypass the veils but in the end total it does not help you all that all that much you can't ignore the veils yeah it's tough in a game like that because you might pull out to an early lead but this happens in a lot of deck building games too where you start buying the victory too early and it, and it clutters your deck up so you can't really do anything but just collect that until the game ends. Yeah, my deck felt really flexible. Like I never felt trapped in any one direction. Uh, so I think spreading out worked well for me. I didn't target a strategy. I just sort of purchased what I could purchase. Yeah, I mean, you are kind of forced by that sometimes because you're, especially in the early game, your mana is so limited, you can't buy a ton of stuff. But as the game progresses, you know, you can start to formulate a strategy. It doesn't take a super long time to end this game, though, so you can't wait too long to pull that trigger. I liked a lot of things about this game, but two of the things I liked the most, it was fast-paced and well-paced, so that was very good. And it was easy to grasp. It was a quick learning curve. Once I got the hang of it after the first turn, boom, I was off to the races, basically. I didn't really need much of anything else explained to me. I didn't have to go back to consult the rule book much. It really just took off from there. I really like that. They designed this game to be an introduction to their card crafting system. This was the, the first of many games they had planned. And now they have three different games using this system. The latest one just came out on Kickstarter called The Edge of Darkness. 
Oh. One of my friends got it. It's a huge box full of all kinds of goodies. It looks really interesting, a lot of replayability to it. And I got to play it once with him so far, and it, it's pretty cool. Because not only do you use the front of the card, there's no uh, card backer anymore. So both the front and the back of the card you're building now. The tactile experience of sliding these cards into the sleeves and just sort of holding these plasticky things, really nice. Seeing your blank spaces getting filled in with something useful is so rewarding. I it love is. That. It's very satisfying. The plastic cards, when you receive them, are protected by a, a film. So it's a little less clear when you first get it, but as you play it, it'll be a little easier to remove the film that's on it. That's right. They don't come with fingerprints. When you get it, you get a nice little covering that you can peel off, just like when you get a new cell phone, but like a hundred times instead. <laughs> that's fun, too. Yeah, the only slight detriment I can give to these plastic cards is they scratch easily. Signs of a well-loved game. Yeah. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Mystic Veil. Evan? This game was fun to play, fun to look at, and fun to figure out. Lots of replayability, so you will see me in Mystic Veil again. Dig it up. Mike? Although the balance of the, some of the abilities seemed off to me, the act of literally building your deck was super fun, so dig it up. Ed? While it can take a bit of time to deconstruct all these cards during cleanup, the game feels fun and innovative to build these cards as you play. I'll dig it up. I don't have this problem. I don't clean games up, so this is fine. Yeah, you know, Mike doesn't have this problem. So yeah. <laughs> You're very good at getting up and walking away. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> the theme, art, and unique card style of this game was enchanting. And the shopping spree style world building it offered was a pure delight. Dig it up. Ed, where can you find it? Mystic Veil is available at local hobby stores and online. Retails for about 45 bucks. There are several expansions out as well, running for about 30 bucks each. If you have thoughts about Mystic Veil, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our last game up this week is Russian Roulette, designed by Gilbert Obermeyer, published by Selshaw and Ryder in 1975. Number of players, two to seven, ages 10 and up. Playtime, one to two hours. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> okay. When we found this game, ironically, under a copy of The Fatalist by Mikhail Lermontov, oh. and I'll explain that in a minute, <laughs> what were our first thoughts? Evan? The deck of cards has only nines through aces. Wait, is this Pinochle? <laughs> Ed? I'm not sure this is a great name for a gambling game, unless there's a hidden <laughs> message there. Hmm. <laughs> Mike? If this game doesn't have player elimination, no game should. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at the chintzy components and goofy art on this box, I'm starting to wonder if playing the real Russian roulette wouldn't be preferred. <laughs> but before we spin the barrel and pull the trigger on this review, Evan, tell us how it's played. Ooh, okay. <clears throat> <laughs> Russian Roulette is a banking game in which all bets must be placed against the czar, who is the house or banker. The object of the game is to be the player with the most money when the game ends. All players bet on the card that will come up next. Players use their colored chips, each worth $1,000, to bet on the suit, the rank, 
and the exact face of the card predicted next. There is a unique way to get back into the game if you lose all your money. The game ends when either A, the predetermined time limit expires, <laughs> B, the bank runs out of money, what? or C, all players have been eliminated. <laughs> the bank runs out of money. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's how Russian roulette goes down in the real life. The predetermined time li <laughs> limit expires. If you go by the box, they want you to play this for up to two hours. Oh my god, imagine watching two guys Wait. potentially shoot themselves in the head for two hours. But Mike, <laughs> you're giving this game way too much credit. First off, it has nothing to do with Russian roulette. It has something to do with a roulette wheel. But not a lot. A roulette wheel? It is a roulette game. Yeah, this game cannot make up its mind what theme it wants to go with. Mike, you played roulette at the casino before, oh, yeah, have yeah. you not? Okay, that's basically what this is. Couldn't they just use a spinner? Come on. Well, that would have been a vast improvement. I mean, really. Uh, yeah, indeed. Your odds wouldn't change as you play. <laughs> explain how the odds change as you play. Go ahead and explain that, that little gem. Well, it's only a 24-card deck, and unless an ace is drawn, you don't reshuffle the cards. You just play the next card out. So you can see that the, the composition of the deck is changing as you go. <laughs> so what does that have to do with roulette? <laughs> it's, so, it's a little bit poker, a little bit roulette. Uh, a little bit thematically Russian roulette. It's just a betting game. So you're betting, oh, is that card going to be a club? Or is it going to be a king? Or is it going to be the queen of hearts? And you use the information from prior draws of the cards to obviously play. If two kings have already been played, you're probably less likely to go ahead and start betting on kings going forward. You'll, you'll concentrate your bet elsewhere. How many aspects of this are you expected to bet on every turn? So your most you can bet in a single turn is 20,000. Right. So the goal here is to stay under 20,000, bet everything you've got, and lose as quickly as possible so you can be done with this game. <laughs> Except for it didn't work for Celeste. She put all her money on one card, and she won. Our best are in. What is it? Is it the queen of hearts? It might be. Yeah, no, it's not him. <laughs> it just likes the suspense. <laughs> Celeste! It's the Queen of Hearts! Get out! Yes! Awesome! Get out! <laughs> Why, Ed? Why? <laughs> yep, to, to unnecessarily prolong the game. That's like Brewster's Millions. Exactly! <laughs> now, did you guys talk about the different payoffs? The, the odds of the payoff don't quite work. Did a ring with the four options pay three to one like you might expect, maybe? Mm -hmm. You know, it's perfectly even odds. The ring with the six options, you know, the rank from nine to eight, pays out five to one. But the ring with the 24 option pays out 24 to one, which makes that ring statistically better than all the other options. Much better. So that ring is you're betting on every, the three aspects of the card. That's it. You got it, Mike. So I was just like, forget it. I'm going to dump it on Queen of Hearts. And it came up. So if you just wait till the end of the game where the deck is almost completely depleted, you end up with a 50-50 shot of 24 to 1 odds. Except once an ace is played, you reshuffle the deck. So the first oh. ace that comes out. So you can't fully track the deck. You just you, not until fully up, up until an ace. Well, yeah, if an ace doesn't come up and you got 12 cards played, yeah, 50-50.
<laughs> at that point, it would be. It's statistically better to put a card on all four specific cards, I say all four kings, than it is to put in the king spot. <laughs> right. Or even if you want to go with a suit. I played one hand all diamonds. Nine of diamonds, ten of diamonds, jack, queen. And that, that turned out to be a much better way of going about it. Rather than putting all my coins into the diamonds payoff, which is a much lower payoff. You'd much rather have 24 to 1 on any one of those cards as opposed to having money all piled up in diamonds and getting a much lower payout. They're basically perfectly even odd with that. There are four different options, and the winning one pays 3 to 1. So the house doesn't even have an edge there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the house doesn't have an edge at 24 to 1 either. Yeah, the the house is the czar. They call the banker the czar. So they were trying to still steer it back into the Russian roulette realm when there's absolutely nothing to do with it. We could talk about my very bad Russian accent. Yes. Da. da. We talk about. What do you think the pullout for that one was, Ed? <laughs> there could be any number of them. Oh, my God. Ed. We talk about and laugh at much. <laughs> we point and laugh at Ed. Ed's Danish Russian accent. <laughs> I was. It was more Danish than Russian. All right. <laughs> we haven't gotten to the point where we actually use the little Russian roulette token. Yeah. Let's just talk about at least the components were amazing in this game. Oh, yeah. Joking. The components were <laughs> unbelievably terrible. They were just a chintzy board, <laughs> the thinnest of paper money, the thinnest, you know, a la Monopoly. Wow. And. And this weird theme of a Russian czar versus Uncle Pennybags, I think. What was that? Oh, God. So now they're standing back to back as if they're in a duel, which has nothing to do with Russian roulette. (laughs) Okay. This is the visual they give you. (laughs) This is the art. This is the cheesy cartoon art. Mm -hmm. Has them back to back as if they're in a duel. And the only element of Russian roulette you get is this cartoon version of a czar and, <laughs> a, and a single token, which has a cartoon revolver on it that you can ask the banker for if you're broke to gain some money back to bet one final time. Did they give you a gun to mug somebody with? Is that what it is? <laughs> Mike, here's the kicker. Uh-huh. The pistol token in the game, you compare uh-huh. it to the one they show you on the box, it's totally different. <laughs> it's like a bait wow. and switch. <laughs> they show you one thing, ooh, that looks neat, and then you open the box. What? This is stupid. It does. On the box, it's like this cool-looking wooden token with a real authentic-looking revolver on it. And then this plastic, this piece of cardboard with a cartoon revolver <laughs> is what you get in the box. <laughs> they lost funding halfway through and just went with it. <laughs> it's like Flower so, Rider. Oh my gosh. Why would a Russian czar run a casino where <laughs> the odds are not even in the house's favor at all? I know. So obviously everybody knows the real Russian roulette. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty grim. Yeah. Right, it's a horrifying, yeah. grim thing. Do you guys know where the origin of that game came from? Putin? <laughs> <laughs> so it was actually invented by a writer oh. in a fictional story. Oh. And his name is Mikhail Lermontov, who I referred to at the beginning of the game. Oh. And he wrote a short story in 1840, which I read in high school, 
called the fatalist. And someone who's a fatalist feels that no matter what they do, the outcome will be the same because everything is predetermined. So the main character of this story, Grigori, is a fatalist. And he believes that no matter what he does with a revolver or whatever, it's preordained what's going to happen. So he doesn't have to worry about playing something as risky as spinning a gun chamber and shooting it at his head. So Grigori Mm -hmm. is this bored lieutenant in the Dragons of the Tsar. It's a Serbian regiment. And in an effort to relieve the garrison's boredom, he invents this game. And then it becomes super popular among the garrison. And they all start doing it as shows of bravery. They all start playing the game. Yeah. And they made a podcast out of it called Which Game Last? (laughs) The podcast is off the air now, unfortunately. (laughs) All the participants have now done. Exactly. (laughs) So people read that book and then started doing it afterwards. If anybody's really ever done it, I don't know. Is there any evidence that that maybe there is? In the movies. Duh. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Russian roulette. Evan? Well, since roulette is my least favorite casino game, I can now say that roulette board games are equally my least favorite. I'm burying it. Ed? I haven't heard of this game before, and I wish that continued to be true. There are better betting games out there. I'm going to bury this one. Unlike the real Russian roulette from The Fatalist, this game will not alleviate anyone's boredom. Bury it. I have seen the 1975 version of this game available online for anything from a dollar to 40 bucks. Whoa. There's plenty of copies out there if you really want to play this game. Including ours. <laughs> ours is up for sale. People are really eager to sell you their copy. Yeah. And if you have thoughts about Russian roulette, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you've done. If you'd like more perks and content from our show, including our exclusive bonus points podcast, for just $3 a month, you can go to our website and become a supporter today. If you get a chance, please leave us a rating or a review anywhere online. Join our chat on our Discord server. We are at which game first. Happy gaming, explorers. Dos bedonia. Aloha!